Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Well, welcome, Joanna. It's so nice to have you on the pod again. Yes, nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun when it's a girls-only pod. Don't tell Sam. He won't listen to this, but we'll never know. (laughs) Yeah, we should think about changing the name temporarily. Whenever it's a women's-only pod, we should change the name to something. The girls room. Did you guys ever watch the yeah. Amanda show? Yeah, I was just show. thinking the girls room from the Amanda show. <laughs> Thank God we're showing our millennial. I know we're, we're showing, showing our millennial. Millennial. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Whoopsies. Uh, so somebody else, I believe Mr. Beast is a millennial as well. So we can start with that. I feel like he's kind of in our in our orbit. Um, though he does appeal to Gen Alpha, which Alicia Sun is a huge Mr. Beast fan, um, but. We've been seeing some mixed results on his uh, virtual brand. Uh, that they've the quality's bad. That the burger is inedible. I mean, there are some really nasty things that they're saying about this brand, and I feel like maybe they're taking it too far. But it may just be really disgusting. I have no idea. I have not tried it. Um, so Mr. Beast wants to to leave his contract with Virtual Dining Concepts because he doesn't want his name on something that he thinks is is making him look bad, and he feels like he's lost a lot of recognition in the industry because of this brand that he started that grew exponentially, which, you know, Joanna, you talked about this, that some of the brands, some of the bags that came out from the company were in 7-Eleven bags and the food wasn't labeled. And so um, they had a consistency problem because, you know, if you're cooking the back of a 7-Eleven, it's going to be a lot different than if you're cooking a restaurant. Um, And so I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this in terms of the virtual restaurant industry, because this was the darling. This was the brand that everybody thought was going to be it. And now it's sort of crumbling. Um. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I love the transition. Uh, I, I believe you're right. I believe Mr. Beast is a millennial, um, uh, aka Jimmy Donaldson. Um, so we know that there has been a shakeup in the virtual restaurant industry for a long time. We know that because we're always talking, thinking about, and at least for me, writing about this stuff all the time. Um, Next Byte being, uh, you know, having all sorts of issues and, and then being acquired by their competitor um, after, after many layoffs. And we've seen this kind of coming for a long time. But now I think the difference for me with this Mr. Beast Burger lawsuit is that this is pretty public facing because Mr. Beast is, uh, is a well-known person, not only, I guess, not only in the virtual restaurant industry, but just as he's one of the top YouTubers, uh, a lot of people know who he is. Um, and so I think it really is coming out that there are issues with the virtual restaurant um, business model. And really what it is is that it's hard to get consistency. And that's something that I spoke about when I did a deep dive into Next Bite. It's really hard to get food quality consistency because it can come from anywhere, including apparently a 7-Eleven. Um, and it's and that is something that I think customers expect, especially if you have like, let's say a 10 to 12 year old who really likes watching Mr. Beast and wants to order the burger. And then it comes in, it's not labeled in a bag uh, in, in its packaging, which that's definitely a no, no for ghost kitchens because that's the only marketing opportunity you really have. So you have to put it in labeled packaging um, as that's, that's what the marketing is. Um, And, you know, let's say you have the burger and it's just not very good. You know, maybe like you said, maybe some of these reviews went over the top, but I, 
you know, given given what we know um, about about issues that virtual restaurants have in general, and the reviews that we've seen on Mr. Bur- Mr. Beast Burger, I'm not surprised that they are uh, suing Virtual Dining Concept to get out of their um, to, to get out of their contract and to cease production of Mr. Beast Burger. It's so interesting to me because Holly, I think you said you know, is this the death knell in virtual restaurants? And it's funny because I feel like we used the exact same phrase a month ago when we were talking about Next Bite. And I was not convinced at the time. I was like, I I thought it was an anomaly. I thought there was still so much good stuff ahead for virtual brands. And that might still be the case, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that, oh, maybe this like, you know, whole thing is built on shaky ground and virtual restaurants as a whole need to have some kind of like reckoning. Um, cause I'm, I still think there could, I don't know why I'm such an optimist on this subject because like, I, it's not my MO usually with a lot of things, but I'm like, I think there's so much potential here, but I think that between next bite and now VDC, Mr. Beast, um, you know, there's a lot to figure out here. Uh, how do we serve quality food? How do we serve it? You know, with our own materials like packaging marketing um there are just a lot of holes here and now that we're in this phase where consumers have more options you know we can leave our houses we can go dine in restaurants um people have more choices and so it's starting to like show some of the flaws and all of this so it's kind of interesting to watch it's also i feel like facilitating so much more drama than like other things in the industry right now. Like it's not just that these things are happening, but it's like, oh, we're suing and taking over other companies and all of that. Um, So it's just been like fascinating to watch. Yeah. Speaking of drama. um, So I actually just updated my, uh, my story, my Mr. B story with a comment from Virtual Dining Concepts, which I noted yesterday is unusual because usually when there's litigation going on, the company that is being sued will say, we cannot comment on pending litigation. So either they didn't listen to their lawyers or don't care, um, but I just thought this was a pretty dramatic statement. Uh, They said, when VDC refused to accede to his bullying tactics to give up more of the company to them, he filed this ill-advised and meritless lawsuit seeking to undermine the brand. Uh, I know that I had a little bit of a dramatic voice there, but um, it is it is definitely uh, drama-filled for sure. Um, but I, I think that I am still not necessarily optimistic about, about the future of virtual brands, but I do think that you can't lump them all in one category. And I think that what what companies are realizing and it's it's not a shortcut it's not a shortcut to be like aha we can like quickly easily and for much less money open up these virtual restaurant brands um and and then it's it's not a get rich quick scheme is what i think people are realizing and you have to have consistency you have to have quality of food um you have to have training uh to to be able to train these uh, ghost kitchens to be able to cook your food right and you have to have marketing and packaging and that it's it's not a shortcut and so i think that virtual brands can survive but they can't do it um under these terms well and i also think that you know when you think about mr beast's expansion and how quickly they grew it's it's the same with a normal restaurant if you're going to grow that quickly you need to have everything in order i think the only place we've ever seen that's grown that quickly successfully is crumble cookies because they have an easy product to make it's very 
consistent. And I've heard that it's consistent across their brand because they get all these great reviews and people, some of our team have tried them and love them. I haven't yet to try them, but I will. Um, but like, you know, that's the only brand I can think of that's done it successfully. Otherwise, when you grow too quickly, you're not going to have the same quality control across them. You're not going to have the same staffing, like Joanna was saying. You won't be able to train everyone. And that's kind of what Mr. Beast did, except for the virtual restaurant industry, which is not that dissimilar from the regular restaurant industry. And I think that that's something that they weren't thinking about as they were doing this. They were just thinking, it works. Let's keep going. We have a product that works. We have a name recognition. We have a great brand. Let's just keep going. And you have to remember that virtual restaurants are still a restaurant. So they still have to deal with the same hardships that restaurants have to deal with. Um, so I, I think that's really their main issue, but I'm curious to see how this is going to shake out because I think that the best restaurant brands we've seen that have done ghost kitchens are out of their own kitchens, taking up time. Like I think about dog house as a great example. They started their badass burritos in a time when they were open. Not that like in time when they was really slow at the restaurant. So they deliver them from in the middle of the night. And so you think of those ones, but then we also have the example of Casual dining took away their virtual brands. So there's always a caveat to each thing in this industry. And we don't know how the restaurant industry is going to really treat virtual restaurants moving forward. I feel like it's kind of a mixed bag. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the crowning examples of a virtual restaurant done well was It's Just Wings from Brinker. And it's because they knew restaurants. Like they didn't have a flashy celebrity face on it, but they know how to make good quality food. Um, they had some idea of how to serve it off premises. They knew how to pick a food that travels well. I mean, wings, boom, done. Um, and they had smashing success when they needed it. Um, so I think that really, yeah, what we've learned from this is that it's the restaurant experience that serves you well in this virtual and i mean you know to holly's point some casual dining companies are winding down their virtual brands some i've i'm seeing that limited service brands are still launching virtual restaurants um so maybe that's where the industry is headed these like well-known i mean salad works just launched something like seven virtual brands um wiener schnitzel is opening uh ghost kitchens uh so maybe that's where this is going and you just need really you just need to know how to run a good restaurant yeah. i think to make this work especially in this current environment well and chick-fil-a yes, have their I'm own thinking of you go ahead joanna oh i was just gonna say that um another example that i could think of that uh tune in to nrn.com because i might be doing a story on this <laughs> um is uh wowworks just came out with an interesting new model for for new ghost kitchens where they have uh, I believe what it is, is they, they made a list of six shared ingredients that different concepts can borrow. So they're using the same ingredients. So they're cutting their food costs. Um, but at the same time, I, I do feel like, you know, WowWorks um, is, is an example of a company that they just really are investing a lot still in virtual brands, ghost kitchens. And I think what this shows is that you really need to know what you're doing. I mean, yes, the food people know food. That sounds obvious, but it's not necessarily that celebrities uh, and um, and these companies that are they're slapping celebrities' faces on virtual brands. They might not know food, and so I my prediction is that virtual restaurants are going to become more of a niche industry. They're not going to go away completely, but to do it well, you have to do it right. I'm saying a lot of things that sound very obvious. But 
<laughs> I'm not being very profound. Companies crumble because they're not doing it that way. So I mean, <laughs> I think some people need to hear this, Joanna. <laughs> well, one brand that, that is doing it right is Chick-fil-A. I mean, they but they have this huge brand recognition. They started this virtual concept as Little Blue Menu. It's, well, it's only available in Nashville. Um, and then they grew to a food truck. And now it's a food truck that's traveling the country. Um, so they were able to really capitalize on that brand and they got a lot of people ordering things from them. It was a different menu, uh, based on the first Chick-fil-A, which was called Dwarf House. And so they, they built all this stuff and I think that they did it really well. Um, and that's because they had the restaurant background, but they also had the name recognition. So it was kind of combining what a famous person could do and what a virtual brand can do and putting it all together. So I think that that's kind of the recipe of success that I, that I think we see in the industry. And I think a lot of us wouldn't have thought, oh, Chick-fil-A is in the virtual restaurant space, but they are, and they're doing really well. So um, I think they've expanded the test to multiple cities as well, but I might be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure I saw that, but the, this food truck is going around, but Chick-fil-A also has new units that they're testing like walk-up windows and um, that we talked about last week. So I think that they are innovating a lot uh, more than several, more than their competitors. I think Chick-fil-A is really innovating a lot. So it's an interesting thing to put this in the virtual brand space as well. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what Chick-fil-A is doing. I feel like they are really innovating a lot. Well, they don't report, so we can't talk about them this week. Um, but <laughs> we can talk about the other brands that reported this week. Uh, to name a few, Starbucks, Papa John's. Papa John's reported this morning, Joanna, so probably fresh in your brain. Um, <laughs> Yum Brands reported, Sweetie reported after we were finished recording the other week. Um, some casual dining brands. So what do you guys think that we're going to see from this, what have we seen from earnings this week? And what did you expect going into it? I mean, this is sort of the normal quarter. It lapped the normal quarter last year. The year prior, our first quarter was a real downer. So we saw huge sales in the first quarter of this year, huge seam store sales increases. Last year, the second quarter was normal, was quote unquote normal. We didn't have, a, we had inflation, but we didn't have a lot of um, the issues with like having to wear masks or having to be inside. So I'm curious to see what you guys learned from this quarter so far and what you expected to hear. Yeah, um, our colleague Alicia Kelso, um, who is taking a well-deserved vacation right now, uh, pointed out before she left that something she's hearing a lot on these earnings calls is about commodities. Um, and I hate to say it, but she's right. Uh, we're back to talking about, I feel like I'm just like on repeat. You could like take whatever I said two years ago and just like drop it in right here. And it would still make sense. Um, oh my God, the freaking inflation, the supply chain, like it never ends. Um, so we've got, you know, Texas Roadhouse talking about beef and labor, um, over at Wingstop, uh, wing prices are up. We had a whole report on that before they even reported. We were talking about the price of wings these days, uh, which uh, makes me a little nervous because, you know, the price of chicken tends to be where the everything else goes after that. You know, it was the first thing to spike. It was the first thing to drop. Um, but what I'll say is that I think that having gone through this over the last couple of years has prepared restaurants well. They have <clears throat> plans and backups in place um, and it's not impacting their bottom line as much as it was initially. Um, we're still seeing across the board like relative year over year success over a relatively normal quarter, but that's still, you know, a year ago, consumers were worried about inflation. They were paying a lot 
for gas. Um, so it's interesting to watch, you know, restaurants are generally doing well, but they've got their eye on these commodities prices that are getting a little sketchy. Yeah. And I think that, well, first of all, I think that supply chain, it kind of is a roller coaster. It goes up and down. But um, I I think that these commodity costs and inflation in general um, is, is definitely causing issues in more ways than one. Something interesting that uh, that Papa John's talked about this morning is their issues with struggling franchisees. And the reason franchisees are struggling is because throughout the quarter, due to inflation, they kept raising prices and that eventually turned off customers and affected traffic. And so uh, their, their transactions were way down uh, in the front in franchisee stores specifically and that's because they kept raising prices but so it's it's always important i guess to balance the business needs with the needs of the customer and that's hard to do well we saw prices of things go down again like we had wings were exorbitantly priced and then they went down and we saw beef and we saw all these different bread containers everything had a huge supply chain issue last year and the year before but when we saw restaurants take price they haven't taken it back down. They have not, in spite of everything, they have not taken their prices back down to where they were before the supply chain crisis. And I think that's super interesting to note because they're talking about, you know, things still increasing prices, but they came back down. This is probably the level they were at a year ago. Chicken wings are probably at the price you're at a year ago. So they should theoretically be able to pay for it because they've already increased pricing. They've already done that. Like they, they have brought up the menu prices and they haven't said they're bringing them back down. So I think that that's something to note because we, when we're counting these things, it's that, you know, they still have that extra cash coming in, even when before all the commodities were the same price. This has just started. The, the chicken wing and the beef hasn't been around for six months. It's just like the past few weeks. And so it's interesting to kind of bring that note in and say, you know, this, is, this isn't exactly going to be hard for them. They're already getting this quote unquote extra money. Yeah, and Joanna's right that these things ebb and flow anyway, and this is just like a consequence of living in an economy. But, um, you know, I think everybody's like still like on edge. It's like nobody's taken a breath since the last time we went through this sort of inflation supply chain crisis. Um, but you're right too, Holly. Like I, a couple weeks ago, a local restaurant here in New York dropped their menu prices and it was the subject line of a New York Times newsletter. Like that's how big a deal it was that this one local restaurant chain dropped their menu prices. And there was this whole feature article about like how they did it and why they did it. Um, that just made me laugh. Cause I was, I mean, it's a consumer newsletter, but I'm like, this is just like the kind of stuff that fascinates me. Um, wow. But yeah, the chains haven't really made any big moves in that direction. And we talked about it last week, so we don't need to get back into it. But Chipotle's talking about raising their menu prices again. <laughs> Um, and just continuing to go in that direction. And it's just like a never ending cycle because then you've got to pay people more so they can buy food. And we know how this story goes, but yeah, it's interesting to be back in that kind of loop when I feel like we've all just barely recovered from 2021. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like what I, what I've been seeing. Oh, sorry, Holly, go ahead. No, no, no. You go, Joanna. You're much more interesting than I am. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, something I was going to say is I, I feel like the trend that I've been seeing thus far this quarter, we still have some earnings to go, um, is sluggish sales 
Uh, I've seen that kind of in, in Papa John's and Starbucks, but exciting menu innovation. And I feel like we've seen that uh, exciting menu innovation and exciting uh, digital marketing innovation. And, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to uh, to improved revenues and, and whatnot. But um, I do think that it's a sign that things are even, even though, you know, we're, we're still struggling again uh, with 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 inflation and um and 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 whatnot and and the supply chain i think that things aren't quite as dire maybe as they were a year or two ago i mean i went to wingstop the other night and wings are still 70 cents so you're they still are running specials there i think what people are doing a lot more is running special deals to make you think that you're getting a deal which is probably just the price it was before they started (laughs) started taking pricing like they're it's almost like they're tricking you and we know that they're we're being tricked but customers don't know. They think, oh my God, this is a great deal. Versus like, oh my God, this is what I paid a year ago. So that's something interesting to think about too, that I'm kind of going over in my head. Like when I see these deals, I'm like, oh, that's that's the price that it would have been last year, but you're giving me a deal on it. Um, so I don't know, that's where my head went. There's definitely a lot more space for marketing innovation right now and menu innovation mm. to join us point. It's like, oh, we can like, breathe enough at least that we can figure out some other things to do where it's not like all hands on deck over here um with operations um but yeah for sure like discounting loyalty programs um we're starting to see a lot of happy hours uh which is interesting from a business perspective um so that kind of stuff is definitely uh definitely prominent right now yeah. Well, usually when you see a lot of these deals, it it, it 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 signals that they're worried about customer behavior and yeah. worried that people aren't spending as much. Yeah. yeah, they want you in the restaurant. And if the way to get you in is to, you know, give you $2 off a drink from three to seven, then that's what they're going to do. Yeah, which is interesting that we're calling it happy hour and not, you know, adjusting menu prices per time, the time of day. Uh, so I think that that's, well, I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. But you're you're posing it in a different like noodles and company tried this. Um, I know just salad does this where like a certain time of the day you can get a smoothie for eight dollars versus ten dollars and you can get a pasta for seven dollars at three o'clock. But then it's ten dollars at six o'clock like they do those all the time. But I think labeling mm-hmm. it happy hour makes people think that it's more fun. Like there's a there's a connotation for happy hour that you yeah. kind of think, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to I'm getting a really good deal. I think that that's a big thing. Like it could be a dollar off, but somebody's like, that's a really good deal. It's happy hour. It's the happiest time. I'm going to get something. Look at this menu. It's so cheap. And you're just like, it's a dollar off from the regular menu. But, you know, it's it's kind of on the DL. And I think that that's something that I'm really enjoying now is that I love happy hours. I I don't care if it's just a dollar off. I'll still go. Love dollar oysters. That's my favorite. They don't sell them any of the restaurants <laughs> I'm talking about, but I do love dollar oysters. Um, so I thought I'd put that out there. Noted. <laughs> Yeah, these marketing strategies really work, I think. Um, and I think that in terms of in terms of innovation, marketing and menu innovation, usually we're talking about Taco Bell specifically, but I think that other brands are starting to catch up. Obviously, um, Taco Bell is kind of leading the way this past quarter in terms of uh, menu and marketing innovation. But um, something fun that, for example, Starbucks did was, I can't believe they've never had frozen refreshers before, but they haven't. So they introduced frozen lemonade refreshers. And I feel like that's been really popular. Um, and so I just think there's a, a lot of interesting, exciting things out there to both deals and new menu items to get people coming in. 
Well, menu items are key. And I feel like we talked about this for a while, Joanna, that, you know, uh, Papa John's was doing all of this menu innovation and Domino's wasn't. And that was how Domino's was kind of going below and Papa John's was rising its star. And so I think that menu innovation is a sign that a brand not only is doing well, but it's a sign that they are thinking of being creative and that they're planning for the future. So when you see extra menu innovation, like Taco Bell is a great example. They do menu innovation constantly, but they're using the same SKUs. So they are creating these new items, but they're not introducing anything new to their back of house, which is something that Chick uh, Chipotle also did when they partnered with those influencers to get the quesadillas. And then they just didn't have to add anything to their SKUs. So it's the marketing that people are doing is a lot on social media. It's a lot um, via customers, their own videos that they're making, like McDonald's jumped in on the Grimace Shake. Um, we saw those results last week that the Grimace Shake would just did gangbusters. It really helped them with their traffic. Um, and then KFC, we saw this quarter was really taken. It really was like improved by their nuggets that sold like a hundred million in the first week or two or something. Um, so we've seen that these menu innovations are really helping. Um, Taco Bell last quarter or two quarters ago saw the Mexican pizza really increase their traffic, increase their saves or sales. So we're seeing that if you partner with somebody or if you have menu innovation, whether it's through social media or your own content, it's still helping you. But it seems like menu innovation is the key for this versus like, you know, Domino's was talking a lot about its own delivery, which is a whole other thing now. But they um, they haven't really been innovating because they are focused on their delivery right now. It seems like that's where their core market is, is they're focusing on delivery versus focusing on the picture as a whole. Um, but like, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on this. And you should also lean into uh, nostalgia, hence the the success of the Grimace Shake. And the Mexican pizza and the Enchirito and all those things that Taco Bell is doing. That they make yeah. customers get like click on which they vote for on different items. And it's clever. It's very clever. And it seems to be working. Oh, yeah. Taco There's... Bell is, is king of this for sure. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if McDonald's kind of took uh, took notes you know, with the success of, of Taco Bell, bringing back old menu items, having people vote on them and just thinking, hey, you know, people love the McDonald's of the 80s and 90s. Let's capitalize on that. Well, that's like the introduction of the McRib every few years. They know people love the McRib. They only introduce it for a certain amount of time every few years because the marketing around it is so good. Everybody loves the McRib and they take it off the menu so that you still want to crave it. So it's not, they don't want to keep it on there at all times. They want to introduce it when they need the extra boost to traffic. And then they're then they take it away and then you have to hope and wish that it's going to come out again and look for when it's going to come out again so i think that that's a great strategy too. find something people love take it off take it back take it off take it back um and you're driving up brand awareness you're driving up desire for the object so it sells out right away i mean the mcrib sells out right away so i think that that's something that is a little different for mcdonald's and taco bell and in, in terms of mcdonald's isn't necessarily leaning into nostalgia they're trying to get gen z with their new music collaborations that also don't use any new SKUs, which is really what we talked about last week. That was the moral of the story is don't create something that needs new SKUs because it's going to be easier. That's another tr that's true for the virtual restaurant industry as well. If you're operating another virtual brand out of your kitchen, try to use the same SKUs, just put them in a different order. And then it's easier for you to operate as a virtual restaurant or as a regular restaurant um, because you're using all the same ingredients. You don't have any that it's like, oh, I make these tortillas, but I'm a salad company. So I have to get all the stuff for tortillas to make at night, but then I have all the salad stuff during the day. Like use the same things. And that's what Alicia talked a lot about in her piece too. So 
Um, but she also wrote about local marketing this week, which Chipotle was talking a lot about in their earnings call and has talked about for a little while. They're shifting their strategy to local marketing. So getting it a lot more specific for each market. Um, and I mean, Chipotle has a name presence everywhere. So I think local marketing is great. It's, it's a lot of gift certificates, which is good for the economy. It's a lot of those kind of things. All right, so uh, let's talk about technology. Joanna, this is your area of expertise. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you kind of what is happening in ChatGPT and AI when it comes to restaurants. You know what's something that that restaurants aren't quite investing in yet is AI. <laughs> Hold on. I tried it. It didn't really work. I tried the transition. <laughs> See if you can drop that in somewhere, Holly, where it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so anyway, so something that I uh, wrote about in this month's Tech Tracker, check it out on NRN.com, um, is if the restaurant industry is ready for AI. And by that, I mean the type of AI that is known as generative AI, i.e. ChatGPT, OpenAI, um, the AI that can quote unquote think for itself. Um, and I had the opportunity to actually try out um, uh, a generative AI um, technology. So that was kind of fun. Um, and basically, I, I got the opportunity with Resto GPT, which is a brand new tech company um, that they basically allow you to create a custom online ordering portal. Um, and I was able to test drive that by inputting a, I made up a restaurant name. I linked to a restaurant that, um, uh, that this one of my childhood restaurants from my hometown, um, and kind of inputted a couple of other bits of information. And then it basically creates this fully functioning online ordering system. And it was definitely fun to customize. They created in a couple of hours. However, the most notable thing here is that it is imperfect, uh, because the menu images that it automatically generated through AI really did not match. Uh, they were kind of funny. I should have taken screenshots, but I didn't, I could actually probably go back and, um, and look at that. However, you cannot see a podcast, so they wouldn't help anyway. Um, we have a video but, version. Uh, that's true, but um, the um, was it the the chopped salad looked like some like weird mixture of bruschetta and wheat thins and cereal. I don't know. It was weird. I, I keep changing the uh, what what I think the description is. Um, and they and they had a fork in the picture that had six prongs. And uh, anyway, so I guess what I'm kind of learning is that um, there are two functions, really, there, there are two lanes right now for generative AI. Uh, restaurants aren't using them quite so much. They're more dabbling with them. So the first lane, I would say, is kind of using it as almost a fun gimmick. Um, so another thing that I wrote about is Velvet Taco. Uh, and they're, they're one of several restaurants that are trying to get a recipe out of ChatGPT and kind of utilizing that recipe. It becomes like a fun marketing gimmick. Uh, they created a surf and turf taco through ChatGPT, which uh, actually sounds really good. Uh, and the other thing is, is this is the AI technology that is supposed to help you, you know, write social media posts, create menu images, even create an online ordering platform. And that's kind of what is, I think it's still in the work, still in beta testing, um, and isn't as perfect as we would like it to be yet. 
Um, but given the fact that uh, restaurants are now working, worrying about supply chain, worrying about inflation, uh, wage inflation as well, um, I think that maybe a lot of restaurant operators are probably not super focused yet on AI. They have a lot of other problems to deal with. I bet they're thinking a lot about robots at this point because of the labor challenges. We saw Sweetgreen unveil its infinite kitchen for real, like where it's not just an idea, it's actually legit. It's on, it's on premises, so it's, but it's off premises. <laughs> it's on premises, but it's off premises. It's a building, but it's all off premises. Plans <laughs> um, keep making a face. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I get that face a lot. Um, so there's there's something to be said about leaning into the new the newness of robots and ChatGPT and AI, knowing that they're imperfect, knowing that you'd be one of the first ones. I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Sweet Green is had this infinite kitchen before anybody else has. Chipotle is working on a, an automated make line. That's, I think, where people are going to start going first because it saves on labor. Um, you invest once and then it saves on labor in the future, allowing your current employees to do things that are more specialized and you can maybe pay them more because you're taking some of that money and putting it into things, services that you know you need, like making guacamole. Like <laughs> nobody, wants to, nobody wants to cut all those avocados, but machine does it. It's perfect. Um, but I think that when it comes to chat GPT and generative AI, I think people are almost a little scared because we've seen some, remember that chat GPT, I don't know if you guys saw the story, but there's a chat GPT who did, who's, or AI, generative AI, where they gave it a bunch of math problems. And when it first came out, it was like 99% correct. And now it's like, it's way below 99% that like, we're, we're testing these robots and we're like trying to push them as far as they can go. And I don't think the technology is ready for us to push them as far as, as customers want to go. Um, but there's interesting use cases for it. Joanna, you were talking about the Velvet Taco Taco. Um, we've seen that a bunch. We have This is not the first time we've seen a restaurant use ChatGPT to, to think of a new item. But I don't think that's going to be the, the real use case for it. I think that the real use case is going to be exactly like you said, yeah. for marketing, for social media posts, for back of automating back of house stuff. Like, hey, you're out of this item. Like, like you're going to be out of this item in two weeks based on your current sales. Here's, I'll order it for you in two weeks. Here's the exact quantity that you're going to need based on your sales versus having a human do that. Because first of all, nobody wants to do that. That's for sure. Um, but I think that's going to be the real use case for generative AI and ChatGPT is more in the back of house. Couldn't have said it better myself. All of these conversations that we've had about AI, and I feel like, you know, <laughs> uh, that's definitely the case. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I was going to say, like, you've learned, but then that's, I feel like that's condescending, so. No, I have, I've learned from you, Joanna. <laughs> I didn't want to say because I feel like that's a little condescending. But no, anyway. I've learned from you. Um, You're my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I definitely agree. I think that uh, I think that for now, the ChatGPT tacos, the ChatGPT made menu items, I think that those are just uh, kind of more fun. Um, and just like, you know, previously last year, we talked all about the metaverse and that was kind of more fun. Um, and whereas I think in the future, as, as this technology becomes less expensive, because right now a lot of the, um, back of house automation that can, you know, uh, that can post your social media posts and, um, let you know when you're running out of chicken, uh, I think that that's a lot of it's imperfect, right? The technology is imperfect right now, and it's not really affordable for a lot of restaurants. So I think there's kind of a, a long runway ahead, but I think in you know five years, this will be something that a lot of restaurants are using. 
it definitely makes me think of like 20 years ago when search engines were brand new and you know you would like even like pre-google like ask jeeves and you would ask jeeves something and he would say something like totally off the wall and it's like mm, you're so close so much of the time and then you're like completely missed the mark um and I, that's like how i feel about chat gpt right now is like mm, i don't really trust you yet but i feel like in another you know, five to 10 years, I'll be like, oh, this is just like a tool. Like, I can't imagine doing anything without Google. And I like, that's like, I think the direction that we're going with this, but I am not there yet. <laughs> I don't think any of us are. I think, I think what we've learned is that it's imperfect. Just like Joanna was saying, it's not, it's not ready yet for the mass public because it's not, you know, it's not, it hasn't worked out the kinks. Like you think about electric cars, People were all like, electric cars are going to be the future. Uber talked about the fact that they're only letting electric cars go on their fleet in a few years. But, you know, not everybody has an electric car because they're more expensive now. And so as they become more accessible, people, more people will be driving them because it works better. It's like a better car. And same, same thing with ChatGPT and generative AI. They start out really expensive and then they'll, be, they'll come down to the level where everybody can afford it. And then it's going to be synonymous, just like you were saying, Leanne. It's just, that's it. We don't, we don't know anything better. So... I want, I'm curious to watch as restaurants take on the tools and see how it actually impacts their labor and see if they're able to pay more because they have their employees have less of the tedious work to do and see if maybe that raises wages. I mean, Bernie Sanders introduced a bill for $17 an hour minimum wage. So that could be an interesting thing to watch in terms of what exactly is going to happen with minimum wage. And we have that California bill that wants minimum wage to go to $22 an hour. I mean, there's things everywhere that are trying to raise the wage. And I think that ChatGPT and generative AI will help with that once it's really part of the system. Oh, minimum wage has a whole other conversation. We could have an entire <laughs> other podcast about that. <laughs> we could have like two hour, two hour podcast about that. It's a long discussion, yeah. but it's something that needs to be talked about. So I'm glad that we have talked about it a little bit on this podcast. Um, as long as no chat GPT or AI takes my job, I think I'm good with that. <laughs> yes, that is something I, I actually played around with chat GPT and asked it to write an article about Starbucks because that, you know, that's what I do a lot. Um, and I find that I personally find that it's, I, I think that my job is safe because <laughs> it, it, first of all, it can't create new content. It's just linking to other people's mm -hmm. content. Um, and it also kind of writes a little bit like a 13 year old writing a book report. That's how I, <laughs> that's always how I describe it. Like it's technically correct, but it's just not very nuanced writing. It <laughs> to, to be fair, I suspect this is how 13 year olds write book reports now. So, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have this that's technology when any of us were growing up. Yeah. Uh -uh. Teachers can handle the technology on their own. We have nothing to do with it. We just report on it. Hopefully, don't write stories with it. All right, well, guys, we had a wonderful conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us, Joanna. It was such a treat. Um, sure. And, you guys, and I'm going to throw it over to myself for our interview, which is a surprise. So you'll just wait and see. All right. Hi, Mark. Welcome to our podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about Savvy Sliders? Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Well, Savvy Sliders is uh, the hottest, most talked about brand uh, throughout 
Metro Detroit, uh, expanding all throughout uh, the United States. Um, we have about 35 locations currently right now uh, throughout Metro Detroit. Uh, we've got uh, about 37 open, which includes two in Columbus. Um, we just opened our first store in Texas and San Antonio as well. So we're about almost four years old. Um, we have uh, started off and uh, it has just became a major, major, major hit. Um, the quality of our food, uh, the atmosphere, our menu, our marketing, our advertising, and people just go crazy over Savvy Sliders. So what is Savvy Sliders exactly? What can we expect if we come into the restaurant? So what, what you can expect, first of all, when you come in or drive through um, is an incredible uh, atmosphere from being asked how you are, from when you leave saying, see you tomorrow. But what people really come in for is our all fresh, never frozen Angus beef burgers, our famous hand battered chicken fingers, and our hand spun custard shakes. Um, so, of course, we have dine-in available as well, um, online ordering. Um, but really, the uh, the atmosphere, along with the quality of our food, um, our menu, um, our value for the dollar, um, our food is quite filling. Um, and especially, uh, we're very, very big also in the catering uh, arena. So, I know that you guys have grown a decent amount in spite of what's happened over the past three years. Sure. How did you do that? So, you know, really, you know, the unfortunate thing, of course, COVID uh, came. Um, our stores were set up mostly a good majority of it for uh, fast pickup and takeout. Um, we also had seating also available. Um, but of course, with our drive through locations, um, we were able to uh, withstand uh, the situation that happened. We did keep our stores opened. Uh, our staffing was always there and always present. Uh, we never ran out of any of our food products. Um, so we were able to really uh, be there in a time of need and be there for our customers. And at the same sense, make sure that we're following the, uh, you know, the COVID uh, policies. Uh, but we, uh, we withstand it and uh, we, we've came out bigger and stronger than ever. So there are some uh, slider competition in, in your area. What is it like to be in this kind of growing area that is sliders? Uh, we love it. It's great for us. Um, we consider ourselves to be the best at what we do. And when you have our sliders, they're, they're different and they're better. We say bigger, better, and bolder. And our, uh, our really our new slogan now um, is the More to Love Foundation. It's more with the number two than love. And it's because we have two sliders in our combos. So two sliders are always better than one. And uh, so, uh, you know, competition's there, uh, which we love and uh, we're, we're grateful for it. Uh, we just feel that we're better and uh, we keep doing what we do best, which is provide high quality food, extraordinary service, and uh, keeping our customers happy and uh, making them feel like their family and uh, seeing them tomorrow and even sometimes the same day uh, because they love our food. How do you get and keep extraordinary employees? Because it's really tough in this labor market right now. What is your view on that? And do you have a high retention rate? Um, our, first of all, uh, you know, we, we do know it, it, it has been a challenge. Um, we've been very fortunate. Um, 
we've opened a store almost every two to three weeks. Um, all of our stores are at full capacity with help. Um, I think a lot to do with uh, our support team. I think a lot to do with our owner operators that own the locations that are hands-on and present versus a corporate feeling. And really the customers and the we people that work with us, the workers are happy and our customers are happy. People want to work in a happy environment. And Savvy Sliders is somewhere people enjoy. They they like seeing customers that are happy and are, you know, we take care of our employees and we we make them part of the team. They're not just a worker. They become part of the operation, part of our growth. And there's even some times where some of the employees have had opportunities to grow within the brand and become managers and sometimes even owner operators. That's great to hear that you guys have that kind of a pipeline available and that people are willing to do that with your brand. It's, it's usually a good sign for the brand that people want to do that and stick around. So that's a good thing. What's it been like growing? You aren't that old of a brand. No, we're not. Uh, we're a little over four years old. Um, and really what's happened over the last few years is our, uh, our brand has became recognized, not only at our store level, but where people see our brand is at different events, um, social events, um, midnight weddings. So it's not only a customer says, oh, I was at your store and I love the food. By the way, my son had a graduation party and Savvy Sliders catered it. Or we were at a wedding and saw Savvy Sliders, or we were at a an event, or now our new food truck that we have uh, also available that we attend different functions and events. Um, so, you know, people are seeing us everywhere. And the word of mouth, when people have our food, they tell others. And it's just becoming, it's spreading more and more. And the Savvy Sliders name is becoming very, very well recognized, not only throughout Metro Detroit, but it's becoming very recognized throughout the United States. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought up your Detroit locations because you've really concentrated a lot of locations in this area. So there's a lot of name recognition when it comes to Savvy Sliders. Sure. Um, is this your plan that you're doing in the other cities that you're in? Are you planning to saturate the city? Um, you know, when, when you say saturate, you know, we, we, when we're going to saturate it in a very positive sense, <laughs> yes. um, such as our new store that we opened about a month ago in San Antonio, Texas. Um, it was one of our biggest uh, grand openings that we've ever had, ever. And it was a store that nobody had our food. People were unfamiliar with the brand other than, you know, hearing about it through uh, the Detroit metropolitan area. Um, it's became just unbelievably uh uh, desirable and wanted by customers continuously. So we're now, of course, expanding throughout the Texas market. Um, we're opening up uh, our, our next door in Dallas in about 45 days. Um, we're also coming to Houston. Um, so we're going to come out throughout Texas. Uh, we believe that is a wonderful market for us. And the people are loving our food. They're loving the food for the value. And they're loving the service that we're providing. And uh, we're just going to go everywhere and anywhere that we can, where we have an owner operator that will be there present, running, owning and operating the location. Now, I want to move back to catering because that's something that we saw really go down in the dumps during uh, the past three years. It was yes. a really hard thing to get. Yeah. But it sounds like you are catering a lot, not necessarily to office workers like the previous catering was, but it sounds like it's all these other events that are asking for catering versus having like a chef there. So yeah. how has that kind of happened? So our catering, first of all, is a huge part of our business. Um, we, we cater to hospitals, to schools, 
retail shopping centers. Um, we have some very, very, very large accounts that we do catering for. Uh, we have a 24-pack box um, that really is a really creative uh, look when we deliver our product. Um, and when we deliver to the hospitals or to the schools or to the businesses and, and we serve our catering meals, uh, we get continuous business thereafter um, because they really, really love our food. And, and it's different than what they're used to. It's, it's, it's not your traditional slider. This is bigger, better, and bolder. So people really, when they have it and they see it and they taste it, they want more of it. And we're there to provide as much as they'd like because the catering part of our business is, is growing rapidly. Um, and, and we're just, uh, we're going to handle our catering volume uh, with our staffing uh, as big as it can get. Um, so you know, catering is, is, a, is a very, very big part of the Savvy Sliders brand. And so you talk about Savvy Sliders being a little bit bigger than traditional sliders and a little mm -hmm. bit juicier, basically, mm -hmm. with their ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, that seems like it'd be a perfect recipe for children and adults alike, for perfect size for children. Mm -hmm. Adults can have as many as they want without feeling sure. guilty. And is that something you've seen in your customer base? Yes, um, we have uh, kids. Of course, the kids love our, our fingers. Um, uh, parents, uh, senior citizens. So it's a real mix of really everybody and anybody. Um, but yeah, we're, we're known for our combo boxes of having two sliders uh, and fries. And if they'd like to upgrade uh, to our uh, famous custard shakes. Um, so of course, kids, people, families, they love our custard shakes. Um, but yeah, we're and also our selection. You know, we don't only just have Angus beef sliders. You know, we have a falafel for the vegetarian. We have a cod. We have a steakhouse. Um, we have uh, a selection. We have sliders of the month. Uh, we just came out with a crab cake slider. So we're, we're always uh, doing testings and tastings uh, to try to come out with a, a slider of the month. And so it really gives people a selection. And our value, our price point uh, is really, really a great price point for the quality of the food. Um, you really seldomly ever see anyone leaving without being filled. So when they get our two sliders, fries and a drink or one of our shakes, um, they're very, very full. This is not something that you can eat seven or eight of our sliders because they're gourmet, they're filling, they're all fresh, never frozen. So it's a very filling meal. Um, and people really, they, they want that today. When, they, when they're paying for something, they want value and they want quality. And at Savvy Sliders, we provide all of that for that same price. What is menu ideation like for you guys? Because it sounds like it's really fun. It is. It's, um, you know, we'll always say to people that people don't only come to Savvy Sliders because we have great food. They come for the atmosphere. It, it really is a fun place. And if you haven't been there yet, you really need to see us. You need to come into our lobby. You need to really understand and get that feeling of what it's like to be a Savvy Sliders customer. Um, so we always uh, recommend, and I always say that if you haven't had Savvy Sliders, you need to try it. And if you haven't tried it, you're missing out on it. And if there isn't one near you, there will be one near you soon. Well, and you are on the development side. So can you tell me a little about what the future holds for Savvy Sliders? Well, our, our future is, um, you know, we we have plans um, and, and put this plan together with uh, support and with teams um, of an infrastructure in place um, that we hope in the next four years to five years that we would like to have four to 500 locations. 
So our growth is is rapid, but being very smart. And uh, we, we see savvy sliders throughout the metro uh, Detroit market, but not only there, we see it all throughout the United States. So what is it like to drop one of these into a city? What's the infrastructure that you need to get a new unit in a city? So we look for, um, we're, we're doing, uh, we look at like, for instance, uh, restaurants that maybe did not succeed. Um, we're also doing ground up locations, which our first one just opened in Oak Park, Michigan, which is open Tuesday. It was our first ground up location. So we're looking at ground up locations as well. Um, we like to go into areas where, of course, there's lots of people. Um, we like schools. We like colleges. Uh, we like uh, businesses that are around. We like to be around a lot of the other um, competition to be in that market with them. Um, but we look for about a 2,000 to 2,500 square foot location. Um, we are looking as best as we can for drive-through sites. But we do have some locations that are non-drive-through that are doing very, very well. But really, our look and our real concept is about a 2,500 square foot drive-through location. Um, and the key that we're looking for is, once again, owner operators that are from their area that have to live in their market and that live about 30 to 45 minutes away or less from the store, because we want that owner or operator to always be available. So when you walk into a Savvy Sliders, you're always getting great, great, great service, great attention. And there's always an owner operator, someone present for a question, an issue, um, or anything on site. Um, so we, we feel that we're doing everything in the right direction to, to uh, assist with the growth of Savvy Sliders. Um, we're also looking right now for multi-unit uh, franchisees. That was be my um, next question. <laughs> yeah, ones that are already in the industry uh, that uh, understand how to operate uh, stores, you know, multi-unit stores. So we've been very successful with that. Um, and now bringing those into our family is what we call it, family, not franchisee. Um, so we're looking at the multi-units as well. Um, others that have other brands that are looking at something else. And uh, we feel once they get familiar with the Savvy's brand and they experience it, try it and kind of see it, kind of see the support that we provide, um, they'll be a Savvy Sliders franchisee. Are you looking for all franchisees as you grow? Or are you going to have some corporate units? What's going to be the mix on that? All, all franchisee wow. uh, stores, all of them. Have How have your franchisees gone about, you know, creating their businesses. You talked about them being super involved. Sure. Do you look for certain people when you franchise? Are you looking for a specific kind of person and personality? Yeah, we are. We're, we're looking for uh, people that, um, you know, our business is customer service oriented. Yes, we have the best food and we have the greatest food around, but we want people that are great with customers. So uh, we definitely look at that. Uh, we have a lot of families that have came on board, husband, wives, children, um, we have uh, people that came from non-food business as well, because really what's great about Savvy Sliders is that our Angus beef burgers are completely automated with a press of a button. So we don't need a chef that's running our restaurants. It's, it's very much automated. So we're looking for that person to be multitasked and people that have management background. So, of course, you don't need to be in the food business if you have management background. Um, so, yeah, those, those are the people that we're looking for um, to help grow our brand. We realize to grow our brand to where we want it, 
we need to have that franchisee that is our support with us to help us grow. So we we do everything we can to make sure the franchisee benefits mostly the most in the process of owning a Savvy Sliders. Now, you mentioned a little bit of automation, which is very interesting because you're a growing brand and we typically don't see growing brands dive into automation. So I'm curious to know why you guys did that and how helpful it's been. So um, when when we first started Savvy Sliders, this uh, automated clamshell machine was designed uh, preferably just for our brand. And what it's really done is so when you're going to a restaurant today or you're going for a burger, um, you know, you'll have some people that may say, by the way, mine was rare or mine wasn't well. And uh, what we've done is we have made sure that our burger is completely, perfectly temperature cooked in and out with a press of a button. So when it's done and it's completed, that burger is completely temperature cooked for each and every customer. So when you go to a location in Metro Detroit or you go to a location in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that Angus beef burger quality and same taste will be at every single store that you go to. And what kind of an expense is that for franchisees? Because I imagine it's not cheap. No, um, you know, our equipment, first of all, is not cheap. We've used the best of the best, but we realize that that's what you need to do to provide that great quality food. Our customers are coming to us uh, not only for the atmosphere, not because our food's great, but really because of the quality quality of our food. They really love our chicken fingers because they're hand battered, marinated right on site. Our burgers are done all fresh, never frozen. So you can taste the quality. And uh, that's really a, a big part of our, our business. And those are the customers that are thriving towards Savvy Sliders. Well, and as you grow, consistency is so important. And it's great that you have this machine that is quite literally its job is to be consistent. So that's a very helpful thing as you grow that, you know, there's quality control over everything. Yeah. And then also too, which I really need to brag about is our training program. You know, we're really, 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 uh, we've got an incredible uh, operational team. So when we do have that franchisee that comes on board, um, they go through extensive training. Um, they see the support that we provide. Um, that's really the big, big key for Savvy Sliders is support. And I think that that's what's lacking in the industry today. Um, we provide that support from beginning to end because we want the franchisee to benefit as much as possible because when they benefit, that's how we benefit. So we're in it together. And uh, when they have that feeling and they know that we're a phone call away or we're there when they need us, um, that support really provides them the interest of wanting to open up more locations with us. And that's why a lot of our locations now of owner operators are looking at second, third, and fourth locations now. Well, that positive note, which is a great sign for you, is a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, we thank you. And we hope you uh, get a chance to, to come out and see us at our store level in either Michigan or Cleveland coming soon, Miami coming soon, if you're in Texas, or if you're where you're at, we may have to come to you soon and open a location near you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your day.